Good morning, church. It is such a joy to be with you today on this Mother's Day. I want to start by just saying a happy Mother's Day to you. And while I do indeed want to honor the mothers today, my intended audience is a bit broader. Last year, I had the privilege of teaching alongside Natalie West for Mother's Day. I learned such a great deal in preparation for that message, namely that this day brings with it tremendous range of emotion. Some women shared with me beforehand that this day is a day of just great joy. They are overwhelmed with gratitude for the gift of being a mother. Some women shared with me that this is a day of great pain. For some of them, because of infertility. For some, because of loss. For some, because of a broken relationship. Some women even express jealousy as a result of seeing other women celebrated well on this day and feeling like their sacrifice didn't really matter. That's where I want to start us today. In this season of an ongoing pandemic, is anyone out there familiar with the term sacrifice? My hunch is that many to most of you would respond with a little bit of a chuckle and an, a resounding yes, absolutely. I asked my husband recently, what has been the hardest thing for him about this pandemic? Well, he thought for a moment and then he responded, well, to be honest, this, this hasn't been tremendously hard for me, but probably, you know, just dealing with you and, and your stress in this quarantine. I, I had to just take a take. I was taken aback and I said, wait, you're saying it's me and that's been your hardest struggle in, cor- in quarantine and in this pandemic. And he said, well, you know, he said, I know you're juggling so much with the kids and I can't imagine. And I know you're probably going crazy every day just with all the things you're trying to juggle. And so when I come home, I don't really know what I'm coming home to. And honestly, I just had to kind of sit there and I just cracked up because I thought, you know what? You're right. This has my stress with this has probably spilled over into everyone's life way more than I even care to admit. But in all seriousness, though, every one of us in this season is making great sacrifices, whether those sacrifices are voluntary or not. Let's define sacrifice. Sacrifice can be defined as the giving up of something of value for the sake of something else. It could be defined as the surrender of something that we hold really dear, and maybe it's for the good of someone else. This morning, we're going to dive into one of my favorite favorite passages of Scripture in Luke chapter 5. So I would challenge you right now, I'm going to give you a minute, if you're on your couch, to go get your Bibles. Um, kids, go get your kids' Bibles. Sometimes this story is in your Bible Let's look at verses 1 through 11 in chapter 5. Now, I'm going to challenge you to do something a little bit unorthodox. I want to ask you to stand up while we read this scripture. Now, that's not because standing up has any special power, but simply because I want to challenge us to engage our minds and our bodies from home. I know, I've been on the other end of that screen for the past couple months now, and I know how easy it is to become sluggish, a little bit lethargic, 
a little bit apathetic and disengaged with the word. But you guys, this is the word of God, and I want us to read it today. So stand up with me, and let's start. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around Christ and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and they were already washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And Jesus sat down and began teaching the people from this boat. Now, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Well, Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and we caught nothing. But I will do as you say, and I will let down the nets. Now, when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, so great that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and they filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all of his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. Let's pray together. Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through the power of technology, we can connect today from our homes, from our different places around the state of Texas, God, around LaGrange, around the world. Father, I know that your word is living and breathing and active. God, would your Holy Spirit speak through me this morning? Encourage, God, where there is discouragement. Father, would this word breathe life? God, would this word sink into fertile soil, into the hearts that are eager and teachable and hungry for you, Father. And God, if we are apathetic, Lord, I just pray that you would stir in our hearts a desire for you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to look today at sacrifice in the context of this passage. The question I want to put before you today, how should we respond when Christ leads us in a different direction at an inconvenient time? I'll say that again. How should we respond when Christ leads us in a different direction at an inconvenient time? Now let's look at this first in the context. What do we know here? Simon Peter and some others had been fishing through the night as it was customary. They caught nothing, as he says in verse 5, literally nothing. Now this wasn't casual fishing. They were doing this as business. Now, they're weary, they're ready to be done, they're probably ready to go to sleep. Most likely they're discouraged, they're frustrated. And yet in verse 2, we see that they're already cleaning their nets, they've, they're docked their boats, they're checked out, they're done. And yet, Jesus challenges them to give up their immediate agenda to come back out into the water. Now, this would be considered a highly inconvenient time. 
What does Jesus tell Peter to do? In verse 4, he says, put your net out into the deep water, let down your nets for a catch. I love Peter's honest and almost annoyed response here. He says, Master, we worked hard all night, and we caught nothing, but I will do as you say, and I will let down the nets. Church, when God leads in a different direction at an inconvenient time, his leading ought to always, always override our logic. Regardless of if it makes sense, regardless of if it is convenient, regardless of if it is more than we feel like we're able to give, when God calls us to do something, he is asking for our complete and our immediate obedience. One thing that I've seen is that we will often try to reason our way out of obeying God. When the Holy Spirit is nudging our hearts, no amount of logic will tip the scales and get us off the hook, so to speak, of obeying the Lord. I read a story recently of a woman named Corrie Ten Boom. Corrie Ten Boom was a Dutch Christ follower who was well-known for saving and hiding Jews in her home during the World War II. Now, many of her family died in the concentration camps as a result of their sacrifice, but Corrie Ten Boom was actually released early from a concentration camp and began to share her testimony and to tell her story and to continue to have a life of ministry. So this story goes that she was asked to speak to a group of young students. Now, she was aware that she was much older. She was in her 60s or 70s at this, at this time in her life. And, and quite frankly, she doubted that she had much to share or that this, this crowd of young students would really want to hear from this older woman. But she said, okay, God, I'm going to obey you, and I'm going to go give my testimony here. And a few years later, one of the leaders from that group of students came to her and said, Corey, do you know what happened that week? She said, for many students, that week changed the course of their lives. I love this story. It reminds us that our vantage point, guys, what we see, we can be so short-sighted. Let's allow his, his leading to always override our finite view. So Peter here thinks he knows better. He's familiar with this lake. He's familiar with his craft of fishing. This is his business. And here is this carpenter who is telling him how to do his job. So let's look at what happens despite Peter's doubt. If you're just joining us, we're in verses 6 through 7 of Luke 5. These words paint a picture of the nets being so full of fish that they began to break. They even call over more boats to be brought to hold all the fish, and these boats begin to sink as they fill with the fish. Church, when God leads us in a different direction at an inconvenient time, he loves surprising us with his abundance, with his abundant provision. In our flesh, we are so easily tempted to discount the truth that God's provision will be on the other side of that particular calling or on the other side of that greatest fear. Recently, I heard a quote that anxiety is picturing 
our future without God in it. I have loved dwelling on that quote in this season because I really think that I do this, and many of you may relate today, that why are we so good at projecting a future that is void of God's provision, void of his abiding presence, void of his, him surprising us with his kindness? If we know him and have been walking with him, then hopefully we've seen how he's provided for us in the past. We're aware of how he's providing for us in the, in the present. But yet, for some reason, we often disbelieve his provision for the future. Isn't it ironic that God is truly the only constant that we know is a guarantee for tomorrow? And yet, when we project our life into the future, he's often not present. What if when our, our minds went to those places of fear and doubt and questions and unknowns, what if instead of getting lost down that that negative spiral, what if instead we said, you know what, that possibility is really scary to me, but I can't wait to see how God surprises me with his provision and his kindness and his presence. Now, what follows is Peter being humbled and ashamed before Christ. Why does this happen? It's as if Peter is seeing Christ. He's seeing Christ's holiness, and he's seeing more of who he really is. This is not just a man who's teaching us. And then he also sees the contrast of his own sinfulness and his unworthiness, and he's overwhelmed. Now, what I love about this, though, is that his recognition of his sinfulness does not disqualify him from ministry. If anything, it is the very thing that proves his heart is teachable, is hungry, and is ready to be entrusted with so much more. Jesus responds in verse 10 so graciously to Peter. He says, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. What's so interesting here, church, about this verse, about this verb, excuse me, or, of um, to catch is, is, is not to catch like he would have been catching fish before. Before, he would have been catching fish to kill, but this verb actually means that he was catching alive. So he would be now catching men for life and catching men to live. It's as if Jesus is saying, Peter, don't worry about not being good enough. I am going to walk before you. I'm going to lead you into this calling I will teach you everything that you need to know. Isn't it beautiful how Jesus is not always attracted throughout the scriptures? He's not drawn to the ones who are the most gifted, who have the most badges, who have the most honors. He draws in those with with teachable hearts. Those who know that they need him and are willing to be humbled by him. And follow him and learn from him. Church, when God leads us in a different direction at an inconvenient time, God will always equip us for the work that he's called us to. These men were blue-collar workers. They were common, uneducated fishermen. God was leading them in a different direction. Not only was he challenging them to give up this immediate agenda, remember, they're most likely still tired and 
if we read in the text, it doesn't really sound like they immediately go home and get to go take a nap. It it sounds like they literally leave everything and begin a new life of following him. God has called them to a whole different purpose and a whole different career path for their life. Now, at this point in the story, Peter has no clue that he's going to be walking on the water to Christ or that he's going to become one of Jesus' closest friends or that he's going to get to see Jesus do many more miracles. Peter had no clue that he was going to deny Christ in his darkest hour and yet that Christ would forgive him and send him back out for a life of ministry. There's also no way that Peter could have known that he would be crucified also at the end of his life, and yet that he would be a part of bringing the gospel to the corners of the earth. Church, Peter probably had no clue the extent of the sacrifice that Jesus was calling him into, but he also had no clue of the impact, the full extent of the impact of the sacrifice. I want to end today by reading some reflections shared with me over the last few weeks. Now, if you'll remember last year when I was able to share with you, I had spent a lot of time just getting some quotes from different women and allowing women to tell me their stories about what Mother's Day conjures up. And so this year, I felt uh, a shift of thinking of, why don't I talk to some men? I'd love to hear from men specifically about what are the women, the wives, the daughters, the mothers mean to them. So let me, let me share some of those quotes with you. One man shared, my mom had a disabled husband, so her sacrifice for me was stellar. I never missed a meal. I never missed a ball practice. I never missed a school activity. And I never spent a moment wondering if I had the right clothes or shoes or haircut. Because of her, my upbringing was worry-free. Another man shared with me, having my own kids, I am constantly struck with how selfish I am. I never remember that in my mom, and that's amazing. She met every need and want that mattered. I saw my mom cling to the Lord in the hardest moments of her life. I admire her. I so want so many of the qualities she possesses in me as a father and a person. Another man shared with me, women's nurturing and compassionate spirit has challenged my natural selfishness. Another testimony, my mom worked side jobs once we were in high school in order to contribute to household income. Even though my parents could not contribute to my college, she always helped me submit all the paperwork for grants and for loans By doing these things, she indirectly taught me the tenets of entrepreneurialism and hard work ethic. Behind every great man is an even better woman, and that was definitely the case in my house. One other testimony. My godly wife turned me into a man I could never have been on my own. Her pursuit of Jesus was a kick in the pants that put me on a quest to pursue Jesus if I would ever have a chance of being her spiritual leader. Church, even when the sacrifice feels inconvenient or overwhelming or even like it doesn't matter, 
Let's allow his leading in our lives to always override what we can rationally see in front of us. Let's trust that he will richly provide where we fear lack in our future. And let's believe that he is going to equip us for every good work that he has called us to. Mothers, wives, women, men, I want you to hear today that your sacrifice matters. Your sacrifice matters. And it doesn't matter because I'm telling you it matters. It matters because Jesus has called you into a life of sacrifice. And Jesus is all about growing fruit even when we don't see it. I'm going to pray for us. Father God, I thank you again for this this morning, this time to be together and to connect. God, I ache for the day when we can all worship and just join together again and gather and be a, experience the, the sweetness of being your body under one roof. But Father, I pray that right now that we would continue to cling to your word. I pray that, God, that the, the places that you have put us in, the places of stewardship, the things that you've entrusted us with, God, would we, would we not take those for granted? And, God, would we trust that you're going to equip us to do all the work that you have put before us, Father? And would you give us a long-term perspective that reminds us that the sacrifices of the day-to-day and the moment-by-moment that sometimes feel worthless or insignificant or overwhelming, Father, would we remember that they matter and that you're always, always, always working, God, and always growing fruit when we don't see it? In Jesus' name, amen.